Well, good morning. What happened there? Man, fumble on the first play of the game. Good morning. That was better. Knew you could do that. My name is Justin Craig. I am the family life minister here at Windsor Road. And uh, I get to come up and kick off our series called One Verse. Uh, and each, uh, each of the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at different verses and unpacking them uh, and seeing and experiencing how God's words speak with one voice through many different verses. This morning, our verse is John chapter 15, verse 5. It's a familiar passage, but I wanted to dive into it this morning, and so we're going to read it together. Now, not together, I mean, I'll read it, but you guys listen and participate in that, that avenue. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In August, my wife and I will celebrate our nine-year anniversary very exciting for us. You know, we got married in, in August of 2006. We, we had the wedding, then, then we opened up all the presents, then we went away to our beautiful honeymoon. Uh, now, we didn't do the Hawaii thing because we were broke college students, uh, just madly in love. So we found a cabin in Saugatuck, Michigan, which is just about an hour south of Holland. And uh, we, we found the cabin. We had this whole great, great idea planned out that we would go out for some of our meals and, and we would cook some of our favorite meals. So we go to the grocery store after we get all checked in. We buy up all this food. We go back and, you know, I've got, I've got stuff to make mom's goulash, which I'm just so excited about. And Stephanie's wondering... Do we have to kill something for that? Like, what's going on with that? And, you know, Stephanie had some meals all planned out, and it's just going to be a great time. So the first night, you know, everything goes great. The next, next morning, we wake up, and Stephanie goes, what do you want to do? And I'm like, baby, I don't care. Whatever you'd like to do. And she goes, great, let's go hiking. And it was at that moment that I was like, I should have picked the activity. That was dumb. Because... I felt like I was in pretty decent shape, you know, running, working out, getting ready for the wedding, but evidently that wasn't good, and I needed to go work out some more. Now, remind you, it is August. I don't know if August is cold anywhere, uh, but it certainly is not cold in Michigan during August, and so, so we are walking down to the state park that's about a mile away from our cabin, and uh, we get down there, I'm dripping with sweat because, again, it's August, and it's hot, all right? We get down there, and, and I'm just like, that was fun. That was really fun. We walked on a road down there, and I was, I was expecting to be done at that point. We get down there dripping with sweat. I'm just kind of tired, and she's reading this board over here, and she goes, oh, if we climb those stairs over there, I think we can get up to a point where we can see the sand dunes and then look out over Lake Michigan. I was like, Sweetie, I think those stairs lead to God's front door. I, don't th I can't see the end of, of them. And, well, they look kind of steep, you know. And so, so we, we make the adventure a little bit brighter and we start walking up these stairs. I get about halfway up. I need to take a break, being passed up by some senior citizens and some kids that have had too much Mountain Dew. Uh, and I'm just like, how are they doing that? It's like we need like an oxygen station here for people like me getting up to the top. But we do. We get up to the top and we look out and it is gorgeous. 
Just beautiful. Rolling sand dunes down to the beach. Big Lake Michigan out in front. There's trees up here, so we do a little bit of hiking up here. She's like, you know what? Let's take off our shoes. Let's run down the sand dunes. I'm like, okay. And so I'm like, down, I can do down. That's great. And so, so we take off our shoes and socks, leave them up at the top, which was a mistake. You'll find out in a second. And we go running down the sand dunes. Again, it's very hot. I now feel as if I am sweating sand uh, because it's just sticking in, in crevices I didn't know I had. And it was, just, it was just a mess. We get down to the bottom, and it's kind of fun. We're sitting there for a second, and I'm, like the sand is starting to burn my being, all right? Like, like my feet are just like on fire. I just, I'm like, this is terrible. What kind of a honeymoon is this? And so we, we, she's like, oh, you want to make your way back up? I'm like, back up. She's like, yeah, our shoes are up there. I'm like, our shoes are up there. Ah, oh, always bring your shoes. Wherever you go, always bring your shoes. And so we are marching back up. I am leaping from shadow of a tree to shadow of a tree, hoping not to burn the bottoms of my feet any more than they already are. I feel like I need a fireman or somebody to come and look at my feet at these points. We get up to the top of the Lord's stairs. We start descending back down. We get down to the street. We make the mile-long walk back, and we get back. I am just, I'm done. Like, I, I feel like I've ran a marathon Never done that in my life, but I imagine it was just as difficult as this hike was, you know, for our enjoyment. And so we get back, and I'm like, hey, that was really fun. I'm uh, just going to lay down for a couple of days, and uh, you just wake me up when it's time for dinner or something. That'd be great. And I was like, I think we need to have, like, a conversation about what our expectations are for a honeymoon. Okay, we just planned a wedding. By we, I mean her, and I attended. We just planned a wedding, and, and I just want to relax I just want to, I want to go to the beach and dig a big hole. Why? Because I'm eight years old inside and that's fun. Somewhere we, we just weren't on the same page about vacation. We weren't on the same page. We were a little bit, a little bit disconnected, if you will. I mean, just, just a little bit apart because we had never done this before. This was new, but, but we, were, we just weren't on the same page. We weren't making this, this connection right away on, on our vacation requirements, But there's times in my life where I feel like I'm not on the same page as God. There's times where I feel like I am just disconnected from God. And that's not anything that God has done. That's that's all on me. I'm disconnected from God because I'm moving further and further away, believing that my way is better than his. I feel Jesus speaks to this connectivity problem in our scripture this morning. We're going to unpack it as we we go along. But here in the first portion, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Here, Jesus is identifying our identities. He's not only telling us who he is, he's also telling us who we are. And Jesus is very clear about who he is. All through the book of John, there are these big I am statements. Okay, In, In chapter 6, verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. In in chapter 10, he says that he is the gate and the good shepherd. In chapter 14, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And at the beginning of our chapter today, chapter 15, verse 1, he is the true vine. He continues to make these metaphorical phrases towards himself so that when he is gone, the disciples will know who he is. They will be able to communicate that in a clear, clear sense. Now this vine, this picture of of the vine. When Jesus makes this comparison to the vine and the branches, he is taking on the visual that was given to Israel in the Old Testament. 
See, the vine was a visual given to the Israelite people, but it's never done in an affirming way. It's always done in a negative way. Psalm 80, the psalmist speaks of of the destruction of the vine that was transplanted from Egypt into the desert. The author speaks of, of the vine becoming a place where people would just come and just pick away from it. And how the vine was a spot now that they have been disconnected from God. That people, that, that, that wild boars would come out of the forest and ravage the vine. The vine is no longer a beautiful picture of what Jesus and God had in mind about his people. At one point in time, it, it was a beautiful picture, right? The beautiful picture of Moses leading his people out of Egypt. Being this vine God's chosen people, but eventually we find out that the need for Jesus starts there because we start to move further and further away from God. The Israelites kept being unfaithful to God's will for them. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to speak ill of the Israelites. I'm sure I would be the first one out there going, yeah, it's hot, I'll be unfaithful. I mean, we've already seen that I don't like walking through sand and things like that, okay? But I'm sure like if it was me in the extreme conditions, it would be difficult to trust God. We see that in our everyday lives when we go through difficulties. But I'm sure I would have been standing out there going, I'll be unfaithful. Yeah, I'll go my own path. You see, I've been faithful to my wife and my kids. I've been faithful to my family. I've even been faithful to my Chicago Cubs. Where's Jason? There he is. See, this year is not the year, but you know, we got, we got some talent. We'll be all right. I've been faithful to my Chicago Cubs. I've even been faithful to church. Growing up in the house where my dad is an ordained minister working at a church for my entire life, I see the good, the bad, and the really nasty parts of church. But yet I continue to feel God nudging me to be a part of his church. And so, yes, I feel like I can say that I have been faithful to the church, but did you know that you can be faithful to church and not your Savior? A great part about our relationship with God is that, that God accepts Jesus' faithfulness over our unfaithfulness. For us as believers, the question is no longer, do I live in the vineyard? For the Israelite people, it was, are we living in this community? Are we a part of God's chosen people? That's not the question for us anymore because that has been discarded. It's no longer, do I live in the vineyard, but am I connected to the vine? Am I connected to Jesus? See, Jesus not only identifies himself in the opening portions of this scripture, he also identifies who we are. He says very specifically, you are the branches. Now, John's gospel also gives us several identities. In chapter one, he calls us children of, of, of God. In, in chapter five, we are not only branches, but we are friends. Paul, the apostle Paul gives us lots of different identity choices. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, verse 19, once we, have, once we have invited Christ to live into our hearts, we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says that if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. That the old has gone and this new, this new identity has come. See, we are, we are only a new creation because of who we are in Christ. We do not generate identity for ourselves. 
But because of Jesus, we are no longer rejected, but we are rescued. We are no longer fallen, but forgiven. We are no longer failures, but we are friends. We are no longer lost causes, but found children. We are no longer guilty by the association of our sin, but we become glorified by the association of our Savior. This new identity that we have only because of our relationship with Jesus. None of these identities are ours without the finished work of Christ on the cross for us. None of these identities are ours without a constant connection to him. Now there's times in my life, and I'm sure you can resonate with this, where I I don't want to play the role of the branch anymore. The branch sounds dumb, okay? I want to be the vine, right? I I feel like I've, I've been faithful, right? I've been faithful to my church. God, let me be the vine. I want to be the vine, I want to play a role that I wasn't meant to. And I start to take things into my own hands and I start to pretend that I'm in charge. We have this mistaken identity where we try and play a role that we were not made to play. See, just because we were made in the image of God does not mean we are made to play the role of God. When we try and identify ourselves, we become puffed up. Our ego becomes puffed up because we are identifying ourselves. But when we identify with who we are in Christ, we become filled up. When Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches, he clearly identifies our identities. Moving through our passage, Jesus not only says, I am the vine and you are the branches, but he also says, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, uh, and and as a child, I remember going Christmas shopping one Christmas at Cherryvale Mall up in Rockford. It's it's a nice mall, okay, nicer area of of a mall here, and uh, we went as a family. Remember this very vividly. We we walked through the mall. We kind of split up and said, all right, let's meet back at the food court at 1130. Okay, now it's Christmas time, so I had to stay with one of my parents. I was probably seven or so. Mom, would you say seven? You don't remember what story. This is going to be good. You're going to love this. So... So we, we go and we get to the food court and dad and I head to McDonald's because there's a lot of people so we want to we wanna get something quick and then save seats. Okay, so we, we get there, we get our food, we sit back down and as soon as we sit down, I stand up. Dad, got to go to the bathroom. Now, pause here for a second. When a child tells you they have to go to the bathroom, they've been holding it in for two and a half hours and they might start to damage vital organs inside if we don't go soon. Okay, so I'm standing there just, just kind of, you know, dancing back and forth going, Dad, I really need to go to the bathroom. And he says, you just got to wait because we're not giving up this table and I'm not taking our food in the bathroom. Mom and your brothers are going to be over here in just a second. It, it, you'll be fine. And I'm just like, Dad, I really have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, I, I, you know, I think I can take myself. I think I could take myself. I, I've been to the bathroom here before. I know what, I know what, I know what What's going on? Okay, I know where it is. And he goes, no, 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 I need you to go with me. There's a lot of people here. And so what do I do? I take off running in the opposite direction of where the bathrooms are. Bathrooms are back that way. I run that way. And I am running so fast, dodging, weaving in and out of people. I mean, I'm, I'm setting land speed records. It's amazing. And my, I, get, I get running so fast. And as a child, you can remember this if you ran fast as a child. But like your vision starts to blur and everything just kind of seems like it's getting out of your way. And it's at this point in the story where I want to thank the people who did the beige tile on the wall and then painted the beige vert- or, uh, horizontal posts that kind of separated where you order and where you sit because I ran directly into one of those posts and knocked myself unconscious in the middle of the mall. <laughs> Merry Christmas! 
I was thinking maybe I get in the paper or something. You know, they're going to come interview me. I don't remember. And I was just, I had no idea what was happening. I woke up with a guy asking me if I was okay. I'm like, would you be okay if you ran into that, that thing over there? No, you wouldn't be okay. See, what had happened is, is that I had neglected my dad's wishes. I had said to him, you know what? I think I can figure this out myself. And I went in the wrong direction. If I had stayed with my dad, I I wouldn't have lost focus. If I had stayed with my dad, I would have known where I was going, and there wouldn't have been as much pain. Sometimes this is the parallel relationship between myself and and God. that I want to do things my way. I want to run in my direction. I want to follow my will. I want to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Jesus speaks here of a relationship of remaining. The word remain literally means staying, living, dwelling, lodging, continuing, and waiting for. Eugene Peterson writes in his paraphrase the message, he says about our specific text this morning, the remaining in me and I in him, he says, make me your home just as I do in you. So what does it mean to remain in Christ? I love Henry Nouwen's one of my favorite Christian authors and, and, and his book, The Way of the Heart. He spells out here a little bit about what does it mean to remain in Christ. He says, it is the ability and the willingness to be led where you would rather not go, to be taught the things you would rather not learn, and for our sense this morning, to be pruned in the areas of life that you would rather keep. To be led where we would rather not go, to be taught the things we would rather not learn, and to be pruned in the areas of life that we would rather keep for ourselves. Now this makes me ask a question of myself of, okay, if I'm not remaining in Christ, if I'm not depending on Christ for my everything, who am I depending on? I'm depending on me. I'm depending on myself at that point. I'm thinking to myself, I have this figured out. I think I can do this myself. Timothy Keller writes about this. He says, if we try and put anything in the middle of the place that was originally made for God, it's going to be too small. If we try to put anything in the middle of the place that was originally made for God, it's going to be too small. See, when I step in and try and run my own life, I'm too small. When I step in and try and make decisions for myself, I am too small. My vision is too narrow. God is always in a constant pursuit of our constant pursuit of him. What I mean by that is that God God will set up what Randy likes to call divine appointments. These things that just happen to come into our life, whether they are people, places, books, songs, whatever they happen to be, it's God trying to pull you back into him. God's saying, I want you. Come back to me. God is always in a constant pursuit of our constant pursuit. This is making sure that we are not giving any room in our minds and hearts to forget who Jesus is. Dallas Willard in his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, gives us a short and incomplete list of ways that we can practically stay connected with God. So we've got a list. We'll put them up here. I'll I'll, I'll read it for, for for those listening on the podcast. Dallas Willard says, Silence, solitude, fasting, sacrifice, worship, study, celebration, service, prayer, community, accountability, and submission. 
Every day, try something new. Try a different way to connect with Christ. I, I was telling uh, Pastor Randy before he left, I, I said to him, I was like, you know, I really, I really enjoy the preaching occasionally. Really like doing this. But it's the study part that I really like digging into. It's where I feel the greatest connection between myself and God. I feel like I'm actually diving into his word and understanding what it meant in its original context and what it means today. And I don't know what you resonate with on this list, how you connect with God. Maybe it's not even up here. But these are practical ways for us to try and connect with Christ. Every Sunday morning in our road rally, in our kindergarten through fourth grade, that's generally where I am. Um, that's, you know, there's a lot more hands up in the middle of the lesson than there are in here and things like that. Uh, there's a lot more questions about nothing. Um, but on Sunday mornings, we give our kids an opportunity to have this quiet time with God, this chance of reflection, this, this time where they can just be still in the middle of a crazy and busy summer. And I know what you're thinking, 80 kindergarten through fourth graders being quiet for about seven to eight minutes, that sounds impossible. It's not. Our kids are understanding what this means to spend time with God. We always use the illustration of, if, do you have a best friend? They're all like, yeah, I've got a best friend. I was like, well, who is it? And they tell me, and I say, now, now if you never talked with this person, do you think they would be your best friend? And they're like, no, Mr. Justin, that's the silliest thing ever. Okay. Well, that's the same way with it is with God is that if we don't spend time with him, we're not going to know him. He's not going to be our best friend. We're not going to know his will for our lives. And so we, we generate this time every Sunday morning. And during this time, we've got kids that are able to bring up their offering for the two kids that we sponsor through Compassion International. We have a chance, we've got some worship videos playing for the kids so that they can just sit and listen. A lot of the time they sit and sing, which is beautiful. But the other way that we, that we allow them to connect with God is, is we hand them note cards. We say, if you, if, you want, if you have something you want us to pray about this week, just go ahead, head on into our fourth grade room, pick up a note card and, and write down your prayer request on here. And I, I brought a few from last week. This one says, I love God and I love my mom. This one says, dear God, please help grandma with her procedures, almost spelled correctly. I like the lighthearted ones as well. Dear God, I love you and I want to do things for you, like bowling. <laughs> you guys are all sitting there going, was that my kid? Oh, that was my kid, wasn't it? Oh, no, that was my kid. <laughs> that would have been my daughter. <laughs> this one says, I pray for my home. My power went out and we don't have water. This one, again, funny because now I'm crying over that says, dear Lord, help me not to become a snooty teenager. Please, exclamation point. <laughs> no amens? Come on. That was good. That's good. Dear God, I pray that my dad gets his job. Dear God, I'm scared about a storm, so please make me brave. Dear God, thank you for loving me no matter what. Please help mom and dad. Please help Uncle Mike, Uncle Ralph, and Aunt Joe. And this one I cheated a little bit. This one I, I have in my office all the time. This one says, dear God, you are all that matters. <laughs> this is what a relationship of remaining looks like. These prayer requests, these prayer cards every week is what it looks like to be dependent on God 
for things that we, that we think are silly and things that make us cry. This is what a relationship of remaining looks like. Once we are intentionally and purposefully connected and dependent on Christ, fruit becomes a result of this relationship of remaining. And what does it mean to bear fruit? I love the way D.A. Carson writes in his commentary on John. He has this to say about bearing fruit. Very simple. He says, anything in our lives that brings glory back to God, that is fruit. I want to be very clear here that it does not take productivity to have a connection with God. It does not take a production of fruit. It does not take anything that we work hard on to have a connection with Christ. It takes a connection with Christ to produce fruit. But you don't have to have it all figured out to come and lay yourself at the feet of Jesus. The baggage that you carry with you, bring it with. Because Jesus is in the business of fixing broken things. As we wrap up our our scripture for this morning, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I first read this, this scripture when I was 17 years old. And for almost 14 years, this portion has haunted my very inner soul. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I was on a backpacking trip in Colorado with our high school youth group when I first read this. We'd done, we'd done a day of hike and then we got, we got a rest. We got a time to just relax, go find a tree, go find a rock to be our pillow and just, just be with God. Most of the time I tried to sleep during this. But for whatever reason, this specific day, I think it was day two or three, I could not sleep. I could not fall asleep. So I was like, all right, let's just have a little bit of pretendinitis. Let's just go ahead and open up my Bible and just pretend that I'm reading in front of all of my peers. I open up to this scripture and it ends with, apart from me, you can do nothing. And for the last 14 years, I have been asking myself the question and I ask you this question this morning because we all have an answer for it. But what does your nothing look like? Apart from, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. What does that look like for you? When we are deep in the valleys where we feel like we can never get out of our sin. When we are in a constant struggle between us and the temptations that lie in front of us. What does your nothing look like? I wrote down what mine, what mine looks like, what mine feels like. My nothing feels hopeless. My nothing feels meaningless. It feels like I want to ask the question of what's the point. I feel like giving up. I feel like giving in. It is actually paralyzing for me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't move. You can't go anywhere. It's paralyzing for me. But in the worst parts of my nothing, I feel busy. My nothing feels busy. It's distracting. On the opposite side of that coin, we know what nothing feels like, but what what does everything feel like? There's a quote that I want to read 
from A.W. Pink. He's an English Christian evangelist and biblical scholar. It is on your notes. I felt it was valuable enough for you to take home. He says, to have everything riding on ourselves leads to despair, not deliverance. The great mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. We know what nothing feels like. But what does everything feel like? What does everything feel like? Everything feels like taking my life and handing it over to God. That is everything. Handing God my money, my heart, my job, my self-consumption, my power, my control, my busyness, my family, my kids, my everything. Why? Because I know that in this conversation I'm having with God, I know that he has given this to me to advance his kingdom, to enhance his kingdom, but all I've used it for is to advance mine. And there's one thing I know is that my kingdom dies here, but his does not. His kingdom advances beyond here. This is not it. This is not final. God is it. God is final. God is everything. And handing him everything he's given to me is the opposite of nothing. Today, it's time for us to drop the nothing and to hand over the everything. It's time for us to realign ourselves. It's time for us to reclaim our true identity because of Christ. It's time for us to reconnect with Christ who reinstates our identity and our source of life. The most beautiful picture about the vine and the branches is that the vine wants branches. God wants us despite our imperfections, despite our blemishes, despite the things that we are constantly annoying God about. He wants us. The vine wants us. 